0: I have a lot of folks, by God's grace, elders that minister to me, uh, podcasts that minister to me, but, but one person that, that ministers to me intimately is my small group leader, and my small group leader is uh, Caleb Azure, and he teaches on a regular basis at our community group, and it's so good to sit under his ministry and his teaching, and I so appreciate Caleb because uh, he's smarter than me, and he knows, the, he knows a lot about church history and Bible more than I do. But he's very humble, and he loves Jesus, and so I'm so thankful for how he has ministered to me, and I'm looking forward to how he will minister to you this morning through God's Word. So, Caleb, thank you for coming and sharing God's Word with us this morning. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan, and... uh... I am ministered to much more by Pastor Dan and small group than, uh, than he is by me, but uh, it is a, uh, a real blessing and a, a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Very thankful for the opportunity to preach. It has been a while, uh, probably over five years since I've preached, uh, so bear with me as I uh, get my sea legs back a little bit here. So at first I was going to preach, I was able to preach on any text that I chose, So that was a little bit of a struggle, kind of think through which one I was going to do. And Pastor Dan and I were going to talk about that. And then it so turned out in the providence of God that there was a a Sunday where we got snowed out. Remember that? And so that left the last chapter of Daniel uh, that wasn't going to be uh, preached until now. And so Pastor Dan uh, contacted me and said, hey, would you mind doing Daniel chapter 12 and so it, it sounded like more of a mandate than a, than a request. So I said, okay, um, but I don't know how well you know Daniel chapter 12, but it's one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. So uh, great place. The Lord has a sense of humor. Why don't you come back and, and preach again and start with Daniel 12. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but seriously, I've been very encouraged by, by Daniel 12, uh, the whole book of Daniel. I hope you've been as encouraged by our series in Daniel as I have, and blessed by it. Um, and Daniel 12 is no exception, just to soak in God's uh, Word. And so uh, what we're going to do first, uh, because we're wrapping up the book of Daniel, we're going to do a quick flyover of the book of Daniel and, and just remind ourselves of some of the things that we've learned. Now, the theme uh, in the book of Daniel, as you know, has been, Our God Reigns. And there's, there's no book of the Bible that uh, punctuates for us and, and expresses to us the sovereignty of God in the workings of the world, like the book of Daniel. And, and Daniel's name most likely means God is judge. And we have seen that indeed God is the ruler. He, his decisions, his judgments rule over all of the earth, even in situations of chaos, what, what seemed to be chaos to us. God is ruling. And so at this time, uh, God's people have been taken captive. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar came to uh, Jerusalem and uh, leveled that city, uh, destroyed the temple, and and took many people captive and left just a a few uh, folks to to tend the land. Uh, And so Daniel and his friends uh, are taken away. Many of their family, uh, many of their friends have been killed and they're taken hundreds of miles away from their homeland to uh, Babylon. And when they're there, uh, the, the Babylonian culture first and later the, later the Medo-Persian culture, they're trying to amalgamate them into their culture. They're trying to deprogram them about everything that they've learned and, and uh, force their culture, their religion upon them. And so they're not able to worship at the temple. They're not able to enjoy the festivals. They're not able to enjoy that promised land. They, they are removed way out of their comfort zone and they're suffering. Uh, and, and all of this is, is coming about because of the people of God's resistance to the prophets and the word of God, their rejection of his word. God promised this, this would happen if they turned their back on him. And this is what God's judgment is falling So if you and I were in Daniel and his friend's situations, we might have been tempted to think that God had completely abandoned us. You think about that, years and years go by, and and you'd feel abandoned by the Lord. And this morning, you might be facing a similar situation. Some some things in your life may have gone off the rails. That happens a lot to us, doesn't it? Uh, And you may be thinking that God has forgotten about you. And that things are are completely out of control, even out of his control. You may be tempted to think that. I know that that many of you are enduring illnesses. Uh, Many of you have suffered uh, the loss of loved ones, and you're still grieving the loss of loved ones from this past year. You're facing persecutions, struggling with many other difficulties, whether it be family or jobs or whatever the situation may be. And you know... The holiday season, the Christmas, uh, these times of family gathering, sometimes that can really amplify those losses and those difficulties. So, some of you may be really struggling this morning, but I want us to be encouraged, and I want you to know that—that—and uh, you're not going to be surprised by this. But I myself experienced those those types of losses, those struggles, and and a few years ago, um, I faced one of those types of situations when. Uh, I I had uh, resigned as a pastor, and I was looking to figure out what we were going to do next. And I had started a job, and it turned out it was not going to be something that was going to work out for me and my family. It was a real dead-end situation. And I wasn't able to provide for my family. I was feeling like a complete failure. And it, it certainly felt like God had forgotten about me. And it also felt like that I didn't have significance in the world at that time And so I was hopeless, and I wasn't actually sure that I wanted to keep going. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it was a pretty dark time for me. And so I've been there. If you're there this morning, if you're feeling uh, hopeless, if you're feeling helpless, I want us to be encouraged together in God's Word. In our study, we've seen time and time again that the Lord has shown Daniel and his people that he is judge, he is in control, and he cares for his people. In chapter 1, God showed Daniel that he was ruling over all and sustained him and prospered him in his choice to honor the Lord by observing the dietary laws and keeping himself pure from the corrupting Babylonian culture. Remember that? The the young men, they were supposed to have this regiment, and Daniel didn't want to violate what he knew God wanted, so he asked if they could have a special diet, and it was granted to him. Daniel was honoring the Lord in that situation. The Lord blessed him for that. Chapter 2 uh, he showed Daniel uh, and Nebuchadnezzar and the whole world um, that he is king and judge by revealing to Daniel the interpretation of Daniel's dream, the image, right? And, and in that dream, in, in that vision, there's this picture of the Babylonian Empire, the, the Medo-Persian Empire, the future Roman Empire, the new Roman Empire. But who is the king? What kingdom will endure? It's that kingdom, that, that, that stone made without hands, Right? That topples the whole thing. In chapter three, uh, he showed Daniel and his friends that the whole uh, the whole kingdom, or and the whole kingdom that he was Lord and Judge and present with his people in preserving his faithful children from the fiery furnace, and walking with them in the fire. Isn't that a wonderful picture? You know that no matter what you're going through, Jesus is there, walking with you through the fire. In chapter uh, four. He shows Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel that God is the only true king of the world who can take power and give it to to whom he chooses. Remember that? Daniel here, he's he's the emperor of the known world. I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar is, right? And he was feeling prideful, and God humbled him and turned him into a beast, right? And God is saying, you're not in control, Nebuchadnezzar, I am. Chapter 5, he shows Belshazzar the king that he is lord over his people and over his glory. They're partying and they're abusing the, the, um, the vessels from the temple, right? And there's this handwriting on the wall, right? You've been weighed, you've been found wanting, right? And, and God's judgment falls and he shows that he is the only king of all the earth. He stands as judge. He sets up kings and kingdoms and he brings them down. He is the only eternal king. In chapter 6, he shows Darius and Daniel that even in Daniel's old age, he can preserve his people from the fiercest trial, even the lion's den. Chapter 7 and 8, he shows Daniel that he is the lord of history and and the future in his vision of the four beasts and the ram and the goat. Amazing precision about Cyrus right? Amazing precision about uh, Alexander the Great. God is saying, I'm not only the Lord now, I'm I'm the Lord of history, but I'm the Lord of the future. And I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Isn't that encouraging to know when things are feeling out of control, that God is in control of everything, even the precise minute details of the future. And in chapter 9, he shows Daniel that he is the God who keeps his word and answers prayer. Daniel's reading in Jeremiah Seventy years—that's uh, going to be the time of their captivity—and Daniel cries out to the Lord. That's the way we should read our word or the Bible, shouldn't we? Read with expectation that God's promises are true, to pray and to act, and God is going to answer that prayer. And he t- and he shows that and reveals that to Daniel. And now, in the passage of Scripture that we're in uh, this morning, uh, we're we're in the larger uh, passage of Daniel chapters ten through twelve, and in this passage. He is revealing to Daniel that he is the Lord of glory who will, who will allow his people to face great tribulation, but he will deliver them and bring them into his glory. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, and our passage today is the conclusion of the vision that began in Daniel uh, chapter 10. So if you would open your Bibles to Daniel uh, chapter 10. And we're just going to read uh, the first five verses just to set the context of where we are this morning. Daniel chapter 10, and we'll look uh, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacy, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from euphaz around his waist, so Daniel, uh, again, he's, he's probably in his mid-80s. And we're going back a little ways uh, for, from when uh, Cyrus was king. And in those days, he gets this vision. And this, uh, Pastor Jonathan talked about this, this glory man appears. Um, and he begins to reveal the future. And most uh, commentators believe that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate um, Uh, uh, expression of the Lord Jesus Christ or appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what our Lord does in this is he begins to spell out the details of the future about what's going to happen to Israel. It's it's very interesting. As Daniel trusts the Lord, he continues to trust him. God is building in Daniel over his lifetime incredible faith. Have you seen God do that with you? Brings you through a trial. You become stronger in your faith brings you more, you become stronger by God's grace. And he begins to unfold more and more and more to Daniel. And so now, at the end of Daniel's life, it's like he's going to say, Daniel, you're, you're my faithful servant. I'm going to reveal some things to you about the future. And he begins to show them how... Uh, there's going to be more uh, Persian kings that are going to rise, and eventually Alexander the Great is going to rise. And and um, appreciate uh, Ron Young taking us through this. And there's a lot. We're certainly not going to try to recap Daniel chapter 11, but he, the 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 detail of the future is is amazing, and it leads us up to Antiochus Epiphanes, and why Antiochus Epiphanes? Well, because that is when the heat is really going to be turned up in the near future uh, for, uh, for God's people. And yet God is going to preserve them through that. And he talks about that. And then in, Gen- in Daniel chapter 11, uh, 36, he seems to springboard into the future because he's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. And most, again, commentators, most preachers who have studied this will say, you know, something happens in in verse 36 that's difficult to understand. He's not... Most people don't think that he's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes anymore. He seems to be talking about some future uh, person. And there's a lot of debate about that. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that um, debate. Uh, But I'll just give you the the main views here. Some people do see it as Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, This is 200 years before Christ. And they see it as the end of the the time of trouble or tribulation under Antioch's Epiphanes. Some people see it as a future tribulation under uh, Roman rule, uh, culminating in the judgment of of God falling on his people in 70 AD when the temple is destroyed. So some people think that the the last part of of chapter 11 is talking about that. Uh, Other people see it as this kind of apocalyptic literature that's very... Uh, metaphoric, metaphorical, metaphorical, or symbolic, and so it's a reference to future troubles that Christians uh, or God's people of all time will face, and then God's uh, deliverance in those troubles. So it's pictures, apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature, and then finally, some see it as referring to a future time of tribulation for Israel, uh, that, that Israel will be restored sometime in the future. And then the Antichrist will arise and Israel will will be restored and saved, this future tribulation period. But rather than spending a lot of time, again, wrangling over those different views, what we're going to do in looking at at chapter 12 is we're going to look at some timeless principles that God's people can cling to in times of trouble and distress as we trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so let's read our text for this morning. That's Daniel, uh, again, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. <clears throat> and those who are wise shall shine like the bright- brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things should be finished." I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We pray that you would be exalted. We pray that you'd give clarity. pray that you'd give hope in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as believers, we will face great trouble, great puzzling times, and many of you already have. We will continue to face those. And in those moments, we will be tempted to give up. We will be tempted to give in, and yet we must believe, we must believe in and hope in God's promises. And through prayer, we must persevere in our great gospel work and, our, and enter into our rest. That's what this chapter is about in a nutshell. So let's just unpack that a little bit. Let's look at verses uh, 1 through 4. And the first thing that we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 12 is that there is going to be great heat, and yet there is great hope. God's people will face great trouble and tribulation. We're promised that. We're told that ahead of time. And yet, we must hope in God, and we must hope in his promise of deliverance. In verse 1 again, it says, At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. So we are going to have problems in life, and and. God is revealing to Daniel, Daniel, you think that you've had trouble now, that your people have trouble. You're going to have way more trouble than than you've had up to this point. And yet, though we have problems, the Lord has protectors. Abraham Kuyper said this, if at once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense so convulsive, sweeping, and everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is engaged. There is this cosmic struggle going on that we don't see, an angelic struggle going on. We're given a little bit of insight in the book of Daniel about what's happening there. And Notice there's a reference here to Michael, the archangel. <laughs> At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. Who is this? This prince, he's he's a ruler of angels. He is an archangel, okay? And it tells us in this text that he is a special protector of God's people, particularly Israel in this case. He is assigned to protect them. And through Michael, God is delivering his people there in, in the time of Daniel. In the future, through this powerful angel, God is going to deliver them. Notice that Satan is attacking. Satan actually has his demons, and he's attacking them, okay? In fact, I find it interesting, back in, in chapter 10, uh, Jesus, if we take this as Jesus coming, the glory man, let's just say the glory man, is coming to deliver this message. But who's trying to stop him? These, yes, that's right. Satan is. That's right. And so they, they call it like this prince of Persia or the prince of future and the prince of Greece. Uh, you say a prince of Babylon. Well, apparently they, uh, uh, Satan has this hierarchy of, of his demons that are particularly uh, working behind the scenes on behalf of these wicked nations. Okay. And what is that angel trying to prevent? Well, he's trying to prevent, or I'm sorry, the demon is trying to present, the demon, demon and the demonic host are trying to prevent Christ from coming and delivering a message to Daniel. Doesn't that punctuate the power of God's word? How important it is for us to receive God's word, to preserve us, to protect us, to help us, to move us forward in God's plan of redemption. The, the angelic powers, demonic powers are trying to prevent that. But guess What? God has angelic authorities that are more powerful. And Michael is is a great example of this. And he prevails so that Jesus, and and not that Jesus needs Michael, right, to do that for him. But he so providentially works to raise up angels to do this warfare for him. And Michael prevails so that Jesus comes and delivers the message, okay? But Michael is going to continue to prevail, all right. Uh, in Daniel 12, or excuse me, in Revelation 12, in verses 7 and 8, there's another, there's another reference to Michael. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. That dragon is Satan. And the dragon is, and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Isn't that great? Satan's not going to win this battle. He's going to be cast out. You know, he he had free reign to to come and to make requests like he did about Job, right, in heaven. And, And the Lord would allow him to run free for a time. But that's not going to go on forever. He's going to be defeated. And Michael and his angels are going to defeat Satan and his demons in the future, okay? And notice by the help of Michael, God's people are delivered Uh, in verse 1 again. It says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. There's going to be this great trouble. It's going to be worse than ever. But just as God has, has delivered his people again and again, he's going to deliver them from the great trouble in the future. And that's a great promise for us. There is no trouble that Satan and his demons can conjure up that God cannot deliver you from. Let me say that again. There is no trouble that Satan and his demons can conjure up that God cannot deliver you from. Isn't that great to know? And who's going to be delivered? It says, again, in verse um, 1, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There's a reference to this book, again, in Philippians chapter 4. It's, it's referenced throughout the Bible, this, this book, this book of life. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul's talking about, uh, he, he's, he's speaking uh, to the Philippians, and he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Whose whose names are in this book? It's God's people who are trusting in him and who are faithfully serving him. Those are the people who are going to be delivered. These are believers. So we are going to have problems, but the Lord has these protectors. And then we see also here, there, there will be a resurrection in the future. And because there is going to be a resurrection, we have great responsibility. Look at verses 2 through 4. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this this is the clearest passage in the Old Testament that speaks of resurrection, and, and particularly of a double resurrection. Those in the, in the dust uh, who are asleep speaks of those who are dead, rising from the dead. The atheist and the agnostic might say that this life is, is all there is. We live and we die and that's it. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if that were the case, we as Christians would be the most miserable people on the planet, right? If there is no resurrection... Then everything that we're doing here is a complete sham, and there's no reason for it. Okay? But Christ is risen. Amen? He is alive. There is a resurrection. And this passage tells us that there's going to be a resurrection of, of every person. Every person who's ever lived on the earth is going to be raised one day back from the dead. That simple fact changes everything, doesn't it? Doesn't that change everything? about how we live our lives, especially when we face trouble? You ever think, what is it all for? Guess what? One day, at the end of the time, you're going to be raised from the dead. And every person on the planet will be too. And there's two groups of people who are raised. One group is heading for everlasting life, and the other group is is heading for everlasting shame and contempt. That's a big deal, isn't it? That is the big deal, right? Do we live our lives in, in the light of that resurrection? Every day, thinking about that, every person on the planet is going to be raised, after they die, they're going to be raised up from the dead, and they're going to an eternal destination. Uh, one man uh, said, live life as if it were with eternity stamped on your forehead, do we live that way? Everywhere we look, everything that we see, we, we look at through the lens of the fact that there is an eternity and there is an eternal destiny for every soul on the planet. We ought to live that way. Uh, I feel shame that I don't always live that way. Do you feel that this morning? What are we going to do about that? Which group are you going to be a part of? Have you thought about that? Think about it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, Jesus references this as well. In verse 26, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. So we all will be raised, and there is one judge that stands over our destiny. Who is that judge? Well, God has made it real clear who the judge is by raising him from the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the judge. He decides who enters eternal life. And who is that going to be? Who's going to enter eternal life? First John 5.12 says this, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. If by faith you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You trust in, in no one else and nothing else, but you trust in Him only. And by a miracle of God, the Holy Spirit has joined you to Christ so that he lives within you and you live with Him, within him. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son of God, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, walking with him every day by faith, then you don't have eternal life. Where are you this morning on that? I've got good news. Every person who turns from sin and trusts in Christ can be saved can be delivered and have eternal life. We'll come back to that. But that's the message that Paul gave to the Philippian jailer. Remember that scene where uh, Paul and Silas were, were in jail, and they were suffering, and they, and they sang songs, and they prayed, and they praised the Lord, and God shook the whole place with an earthquake, and all their chains fell off. Philippian jailer was about to kill himself. Paul stabbed him, and he realized in that moment what did he realize? He realized that Paul and Silas were the real deal, that, that the message that they spoke of the gospel was the truth. And so he fell down before them, and what did he say? He said, what must I do to be saved? He knew something, and I think everybody knows this in our hearts, and we know this, that we've got a problem. That we'll stand before God one day, and without... God doing something. We're not ready for that day. And so we ought to ask with that Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And and Paul gives the answer. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the one way to eternal life. Faith, turning from sin, trusting in Jesus alone is the way of salvation. And so These are the people that are going to be delivered, those whose names are in the book of life. And these are the people that are going to have eternal life. And then we see here in verse 4, if you look at it, it says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. What's going on here? This could be confusing. You could look at this and say, is Daniel supposed to keep this a secret? All this revelation? Well, I think the obvious answer is no, because he didn't. Uh, he, by God's grace, penned it down and, and it's been inscripturated for us. But one thing that we may not think of is, is some of the um, cultures and customs of this time. And One such uh, custom was if, if something was written, an important document, on a papyrus roll of paper, uh, typically what they would do is they'd make two copies, okay? Um, One was sealed up and kept safe in a a safe place, and the other one was then published for all to see. And so this is probably the the picture here. Uh, Daniel, I want you to preserve this message, seal it up, keep it safe, and then that open document was given to the people to read. So the second document served as a backup just in case something happened to the first. So this is, this is the picture here. But What's the lesson? The lesson is here God wants us to preserve. He wanted Daniel to preserve his word, to proclaim his word. And that is also our job as the church today, isn't it? One of the key functions of the church is to preserve and to proclaim the word of God and that's by God's grace you're a part of a church that does that every Sunday. We protect and proclaim the word of God. In the future, as also was happening now to in Daniel and is happening now in our day, people will be searching and trying to figure out what's going to happen, trying to understand. And that's what the end of verse 4 talks about. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. People are running to and fro today, trying to figure out the world, aren't they? Searching for answers. The answers are found in God's word. That is where they'll find them. And this is why it's being preserved, so that people can run to and fro throughout the word of God. Are we doing that? Are we people of the book searching as we look at the world, as we look at our lives and all the troubles that we face? Are we searching out God's word for the answers, that's what we ought to do, and this is why Daniel's been preserved. But you know something, in the, in the midst of, of trouble like this, and, and Daniel says there's going to be great trouble such as they've never seen before, people are going to be tempted to be hopeless. Once again, we come back to that. Are you facing something today that, that has you feeling exasperated, lost, hopeless, Someone has said human beings can live 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we cannot live four seconds without hope. If you've ever faced a situation where you literally lost hope, you know that to be true. You know that there was such anxiety of soul that something had to be done or you were not going to make it. Have you ever been there? A few years ago, our, our family decided to do a, a canoe trip. We got a couple canoes and, and uh, we we're going to go over to the Wolf River south of Shawano. And uh, so we had everything set and prepared, but as tends to happen with our family and others, got a little bit behind schedule as the day went on and uh, our daylight hours were, were fleeting quickly. Uh, but we got out there I figured we still had enough time I'd looked it up and it was supposed to take um, a little over 3 hours to do this float which is as I look back at it now was pretty ambitious for where our family was at the time <laughs> but through caution to the wind we we're going to do this so uh, we're heading out and I'm thinking you know we have just enough time to get this in and so we get out there we we you know we we dropped off some one car you know down the river went up the river Launched our canoes so that we had a way to, you know, get back and everything. And so we get there. We, we launch the canoes. I want to take one cell phone at least just in case we got into trouble. Not really thinking that out there you're not going to have any cell phone reception anyways. But uh, so we launched it off. And I'm thinking this is pretty straightforward. We're on this Wolf River. We're getting off at one highway. We're going to the next. We just go down the river, right? And, and we'll get to our destination. Well, There was one factor that I didn't uh, take into account. Well, first of all, we're going down the river, we're having a blast. You know, we're playing in the water, we're doing a little fishing, Josiah catches a bass. It was just great. It was perfect. It was one of those rare days in Wisconsin, one out of three days where it was over 80 degrees, so it was fantastic. And so we're having a good time, uh, we're floating, we're not thinking about any troubles or concerns, but then we came to a fork in the river. And I kid you not, they were of equal size. Like the, the, the streams were of equal size. So I'm looking at it like I do not know which way to go. And so I tried to get out the one cell phone that we had. We chose the one that was dead. So I had no, no map to kind of look and try to figure this out. So we just had to decide. Well, we chose poorly. Uh, we went right when we should have went left. And so about 20 minutes later... Maybe a half hour later, we come to a dead end at a swamp. Okay, and it's muck and mud, and we're getting out, we're trying to train. Then we had to paddle back up the way that we came to get back onto the main trunk of the river where we needed to be. So we lost an hour. Well, we could not afford to lose that hour. And so it's getting dark. It's dusky, and pretty soon darkness falls, and we're on the Wolf River. and it's wilderness out there. Uh, So there's nothing around. And so there's these branches and things hanging over the river that you can't see. So we're going along and every once in a while you just get hit with, with some branches and stuff and nearly fall and capsize in the water. This was a few years ago. So Isaac, I think, was only like six years old. So it was a little, it was precarious. Okay. And we've been, we're getting tired. We've been paddling a long time. And we're going and going, and, and it's dark, dark, dark. And, um, and then, all of a sudden, from the side of the river, something starts screaming and snarling at us, okay? And wanting to attack us. I didn't see it, but I think it was a mountain lion. And it was scary, okay? Now, now the kids didn't know what it was, neither did Chrissy, I was probably the only one that had a good guess, but they were freaked out by it. Nonetheless, something in the night sounds like a banshee out there screaming. And uh, so we were freaked out. And I just remember, um, like, it was a narrow part of the river. And this thing wanted to come out and get us. I didn't know that, that it would even do that or that, that a mountain lion would do something like that. But anyways, it, it wanted to come out and get us. So I was literally standing up in this canoe with a paddle ready to go toe-to-toe with the cougar, and thinking it was going to happen, actually. And so I was yelling at it, and smacking the paddle on the water, and we just kept floating, and it followed us for a while. And finally, it, it gave up, thankfully, by God's grace. And so we're floating there, but more time goes by, and we're paddling and we're paddling. So after all that, we're tired, everybody's freaked out, and there seems to be no end in sight. It's getting later and later. I'm just like, did we somehow go off on some other stream and we're just never going to get to the car? So we were feeling pretty ho- hopeless, helpless, scared uh, in the night there with, with our family. And um, maybe you've been there in life where you're just tapped out. You keep on rowing, keep on paddling, but there seems to be no end. In sight. Do you feel stuck in those endless troubles, those trials, those tribulations? You feel like nothing has purpose or meaning, and you're ready to give up? Well, I want us to be encouraged here. In the heat of tri- trial, even when we cannot seem to even hear the still, small voice of God, He is at work. He's protecting His people. He's preserving those people who are in His book He is proclaiming the gospel through our feeble works and words, and he's giving us the opportunity to guard his gospel, to treasure his word. So the first thing we see here is great heat, but then there is great hope. I want everybody over here to say together with me, great heat, and then everybody on this side is going to say great hope. Ready? Great heat. Great hope. One more time. So remember that. When there's great heat, there is great hope. And then in verses 5 through 8, and we're going to go very quickly through this, there's a great puzzle, but there is great prayer. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him that lives forever that it would be for time times and a half time and that when the shattering of the people of the of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things should be finished and i heard but i did not i did not understand then i said oh my lord what shall be the outcome of these things well you know what i'm tempted to play a little music and dance right around this passage of scripture but we're not going to do that In verses 5 and 6, we're going to see that there are some angels that are mystified. You may be mystified too. Some angels are mystified by by what's going on here. Uh, Most commentators believe that these figures on each side of the stream are angels, perhaps Gabriel being one of them. And then the man over the stream, like we said, is most likely the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's presented here, and I love this picture, he's over the water, (laughs) We're on the Wolf River. I'm glad he was over the water there. He's over the water of your trials and troubles, okay? And God has unfolded some great mysteries to Daniel, and these angels, they long to look into these things. Angels long to look into these things. And notice the glory man's mysterious response And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him that lives forever. That's an unusual thing. You see one hand raised sometimes. You don't often in the Bible see both hands raised to heaven. And what this is, it's a solemn statement, a solemn promise, a solemn oath. And what I take away from this is that the Lord has the days numbered. He knows. He knows even though we don't we we're going to have a hard time understanding this god knows and he can declare with certainty the future okay and he says here that it would be for a time times and a half time what does that mean i have no idea <laughs> but let's talk about some some thoughts here the glory man solemnly proclaims there is a time fixed for deliverance a time fix for hope. And I I agree with Daniel here. We're in good company. If you read that and you say, I don't understand this, you're in good company because look at what Daniel says verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. So there's, you know, I think just knowing that we need to be real careful about being dogmatic about this passage of scripture. If the writer says, I heard it, but I didn't understand it, we need to be humble about this passage, right? So there, there are many different views on what this means. The two major views are these. The first one is that these numbers are symbolic. In the Bible, the number seven is the is, is a number of completion or a number of uh, perfection. And so three 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 and a half then, the time times and a half time, three and a half, represents a broken whole. Okay, so it's, it's speaking of a brokenness. And that would fit then with this shattering of the power of the holy people. There's... Until, until your people are completely broken, right, would be a way of, of saying it. And so some see this as being at least partially fulfilled at the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's like God's people, the, the Israelites, again and again have resisted, have resisted, have resisted, have, have persecuted God's prophets, have, have uh, killed God's prophets, and then finally the ultimate prophet, Jesus, comes and they reject him, and God's judgment is poured out on them, and they're completely broken. And, and the greatest picture of that then would be the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And so many see this as fulfilled in that and then uh, spiritually fulfilled through the ages of the church. So the deliverance then comes through the, uh, the, the church and this age that we're in now, if you will. Another view would be this, that this refers to the second half or three and a half years of a future definite seven-year tribulation, that the nation of Israel is going to be regathered, reinstituted, and that there's, there's going to be this time of trouble, and halfway through it, this Antichrist, who will have deceived them, is going to reveal himself for who he is, is going to shatter the power of the holy people, and they're going to finally realize that Jesus is the, is the Messiah. They'll look on him whom they have pierced and they'll embrace the, the Messiah before the end. That's another view. So those are the two major views. But again, we're looking at the, the timeless principles that emerge here. So what does Daniel do in the face of these questions, in the, in the face of mystery that's happening here? I want you to remember the pattern of Daniel, Daniel's life. What did he do? What did he always do every day? He prayed. He set aside time to pray. Even though there was none of that religious structure to keep him in bounds, by God's grace, Daniel had this pattern of praying three times a day, right? And so when he, found, when he was reading God's word, what did he do in Daniel chapter 9? He prayed. In the midst of all that trial, that trouble, he claimed God's promises, he prayed. Even in, in Daniel chapter 10, um, we noticed that he, he set the scene for us. When did God bring the revelation of this vision to Daniel? It was after Daniel had set aside time. Um, he was mourning for three weeks. He was mourning. He was praying. He was entreating the Lord. He was doing some fasting, and that's when God revealed some things to him. Okay? So there's this pattern. When, when you're in trouble, what should you do? You should pray. And even in this, I, I love this. I was thinking about this even in the last couple days because the Lord's brought me to some places here in the last few years of, of desperation. And I'm learning to pray in a different way, okay? Because it used to be real sanitized when I prayed. But I'm learning to be pretty raw when I pray to the Lord and real transparent and just pour out my heart to the Lord and that's kind of what Daniel's doing here. If you think about it, he says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then he says, oh, my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things be? He's tired. This this revelation, this vision has taken everything out of Daniel. He's like sapped and exhausted. He's just, he's crying out to God. And, you know, that's what we should do, too. When you're in trouble and you're in times you just don't understand, pour your heart out to the Lord. Just... Ask those questions. God is big enough to handle any questions that you have. And we need to bring our, 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 our raw emotion to the Lord. So, you know, we came to that point on the river a few years ago where we were just tapped out in desperation. I remember just praying together as a family. We were singing together as a family. We just didn't, we didn't know what to do. We were just crying out to the Lord. There, there was a lot of crying, but Chrissy helped me dry up my tears, and then we, we kept going. Like the psalmist, we should say, how long, O Lord? Okay, so let's review where we've been. The first thing that we looked at was great heat and great hope. So let's say that together again. Great heat. Great hope. Okay, now we see great puzzle and great prayer. So great, great prayer. And the last we see, very quickly, great mission and great molding. God's people have great gospel work to do, and we must trust in the Lord that through the work we'll be refined until we enter our, our rest. This is in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh, oh my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things be? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So Daniel wants to know what he should do. But you know something? God doesn't give him the answer. Have you been there before? You're crying and crying out to God. God, show me what this is all about. Deliver me. And what does God do? His answer is wait. Just wait. And, you do, and, and he's basically telling you, you don't get to know. You, you don't get to understand what's happening here. And that's basically what he says to Daniel. He's, this is sealed up. You don't, you don't get to fully understand this. And so what does he say? He says, go your way. What does that mean? Well, Daniel's a, a faithful man of God. You just think about his career and everything that he's been doing. Um, and, and now he's like the leader of a group of people called the Magi, the wise men of Babylon. Daniel is, is the wisest of the wise men. And he's got a lot of work to do in continuing to represent the Lord and be faithful. And and it's like the Lord is saying to Daniel, you don't get to know, but go on about the work that I've given you to do. Just be faithful. Be faithful. Do the work I've given to you. Pray and work, work and pray. Trust me. But what's going to happen to God's people? In verse 10, it says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. You know, as we think about the sure coming of Christ and our deliverance and our eternity with Him, we ought to be motivated in a couple of different ways. Notice 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As we have this revelation of the future that we'll be raised from the dead, that we'll be with God, that we'll have an opportunity to shine as stars in the sky as we're faithful to proclaim God's word, it should motivate us to be pure. We ought to want to be more like Jesus as we anticipate that day. And then it should motivate us to proclaim the message, okay? You know, when we were on that river, lost in the wilderness, it was dark, and we literally, it just felt like we were paddling forever, (laughs) and we were so tired. But finally, uh, off in the distance, we saw a light. Actually, we saw two lights. And they were coming from opposite directions, and they came, and they met in the middle Right over a bridge, it was two cars and the headlights. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. (laughs) It lit up the whole bridge that was in front of us, and we realized that we were finally there. That was the light for us, and there was great rejoicing. (laughs) Well, what light do we see in this? Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light in the darkness. And guess what? Jesus faced the greatest heat on the cross because of the hope that he had. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus is that redeemer for us. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he has risen from the dead. Jesus faced the great puzzle and, and persevered through the greatest prayer. Remember on the, in the garden, he cried out, remove this cup from me, and yet not what I will, but you will. He was in great anguish, trouble like none of us have ever faced or will ever face, and yet what did he do? He prayed. And Jesus had the greatest mission, and as we follow him, we're molded into his image. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So once again... Back to the first. We have great heat, but we have great hope. Let's say it together. Great heat. Great hope. And then we have great puzzle, but we persevere through great prayer. So great great prayer. And then we have a great mission, but there's a great molding work that God is doing and conforming us to the image of his son. So let's say that together. Great mission. Great molding. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. You are God. You are King. And there is salvation in no other. I pray that all of us would trust in you today. Whatever the trials are that we have, we know that we have hope in Christ. So may you glorify yourself as we anticipate your future kingdom. May we become more and more like Jesus and take the message of the gospel to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.